The psalmist said, my eyes fail me for searching the word of God. And he said, oh, how I delight, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. My eyes are awake during the night watches so that I can meditate on your word. Uh, The psalmist put a lot of time into reading scripture. He said, man, I I love it. I I delight in it. This This is what I love to do. And he did it so much twice in Psalm 119. He said, man, I can't look anymore. My eyes fail me. He was reading that much. Um, There's value in searching the Word of God. The Bible is a gold mine. There, There are nuggets right there to be picked up, right there on the surface. And then as you know very well for yourself, there are... Things that can only be learned through um, diligent study and, and digging and hard work. And you'll uncover even more truths that are deeper deeper and, and hidden uh, from the surface level. And, and that's the nature of God's Word. This morning what I want us to do is to talk about a passage that probably you're all familiar with. Uh, John chapter 11, the raising of Lazarus. But I want us to look at it, not just the obvious, the raising of Lazarus, but I want us to look at some not so obvious things from that scripture that if we just slow down and and read it again, we'll see things that maybe before we missed. If you'll advance the slide one, um, these, have you seen these before? Uh, these are called stereograms. And uh, they came out a few years ago. I, I don't know if you know what you're supposed to do with it, but you look at this and, and well, you you kind of look through it. You go fuzzy. You, you lose your focus. And when you do that, this will become three-dimensional and you'll see a picture. Uh, it's not just a bunch of dots. There's really a picture there. In fact, can anyone see the picture? Not a soul. One person, and I don't believe him. Um, well, there is, there is, see, I can look at the, I don't know, maybe it means you're just susceptible and gullible or something, I don't know, because I can look at one of those and bam, just like that, I see it. I have yet to get Kim to see one of these, and it frustrates me. I say, look, look longer, and she'll be done with it, and, and I want her to keep trying. But there's a guitar in this picture. I don't know if you can see it or not, but uh, if you can go out of focus. But that's my point is, what you see on the surface, what you see at first glance, you might miss what's beyond first glance. And I guess you all missed it. Okay, but anyway, go go to the next thing. But that's not how we learn uh, the Bible. And and I want to share two pictures with you this morning. This this is a picture of um, a Bible that uh, belonged to Bill Nix. Uh, Bill Nix was the director here in 1980. And uh, can you see how that uh, the, the pages are actually grooved where you would take your thumb? And, and, you know, thumb through the pages. He had thumbed through the pages so much that there was a dent, an indentation in this part of his Bible because he used it that often. That's a man who spent a lot of time in the Word of God. 
Um, I don't think that I ever knew Bill Nix. Um, I've heard everybody talk about him. In fact, I was uh, a few years ago, I was talking to my dad, and my dad, when he was going to college, would stop at Bill, and I can't remember his wife's name, I'm sorry, uh, but he would stop at their house, and uh, they would keep him all night as he was traveling to Florida. But uh, that, that's how you find things. You spend time in the Word of God. This Bible, of course, is, is James's Bible, James Meadows. Um, look, at, look at those pages. You think that's been opened a time or two? I mean, that, that has been thumbed through, and, and, and the, the inside of it, you wouldn't believe what it looks like, but I just wanted you to get a view of that outside look there. Now, I would love to have a Bible like that, but I am too OCD to stand it. I, I couldn't stand it, you know, if, if my Bible were like that. But, I, you know, it's, it, it represents time, time and diligence in God's Word. And when you spend time and diligence in God's Word, you're going to uncover truths that that maybe uh, are deeper or you might miss at first glance. And so I want to just do a chapter this morning with you that we're all familiar with, But and, and you may already know all these things. It may be old hat to you. But I think there are some things that maybe that are not so obvious that are some great lessons to give some thought to from a very familiar chapter, John 11. John 11 begins by Jesus being told that his friend, Lazarus, uh, was sick, really sick. I mean, to the point of dying sick. And so they called for Jesus to come because they wanted him to heal him, but Jesus didn't come. In fact, he delayed and he waited um, It was his plan to let Lazarus die so that he could then go when Lazarus was dead and raise him from the dead and God would be glorified and it would be a great miracle attesting to his deity and to uh, the work of God. So that was his plan to allow Lazarus to die. And and you remember that he does wait and Lazarus dies. And when he finally shows up, um, Mary and Martha both, Lazarus' sisters, they meet Jesus and they say, man, if you had just been here, he wouldn't have died. And, and they were brokenhearted. And, and Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five, And he took... Lazarus and went to the place where they had buried him. He had been dead for four days at this point. And he raised him from the dead. And he came forth from that tomb, making believers out of many. And those who had hard hearts and who had other agendas, it just gave them more fodder to want to kill him. And um, in particular, many left from there and went to the Pharisees and the high priest and said, hey, you know what? Jesus just did this. He's going to cause all kind of trouble for us. And the high priest said, well, well, we'll take care of him. And they began to plot his death. But that's the story. That's the obvious. We know how that story goes. But let's look at a few things from this chapter that if we would just slow down and read it again, If we would meditate on the Word of God and and mull it over in our mind and not just hurry through, 
there are other truths that I think are, are important to take note of. The first one comes from John 11 and, and verse 16. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. I don't know if there's anyone that gets a worst rap by people living in the 21st century that lived in Bible times that didn't deserve it. It's Thomas. We dub him Doubting Thomas. And that is so unfair. I wouldn't want to have somebody take my lowest moment or one of my weakest moments in life and dub that as a prefix to my name. And that's what basically we have done to Thomas. And and it's not very Christ-like, is it, to think about it. Doubting Thomas. Well, let's consider something about Thomas. I see Thomas mentioned in this context, John 11. And you know what? When Jesus said, all right, let's go back to Judea. Let's go back to Bethany. um, And let's let's go down there. And you know the other apostles didn't want to? They tried to talk him out of it. No, 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 no. We, We can't go down there. If we go down there, don't you remember the last time we were there? They wanted to kill you. I don't think this is a good idea, Jesus. Let's not. And it's Thomas that speaks up and says, guys, let's go. Let's go with him. And if we die, we die. You know, Peter once said that very thing. And we praise him. Oh, what courage Peter had. Peter was a man of faith, a man of courage. He's one of those great apostles because why he was even willing to go die with Jesus that night. Um, yeah, well, he was. But he's not the only one. Thomas was genuine. He was a disciple of Jesus. He was handpicked by Jesus himself because of his genuineness. This guy is, is a great man. Far more than just a doubter. Uh, In John chapter 14, we read about Thomas where um, Jesus said, you know, I go away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. Uh, Where I am, there you may be also. And he said, now I'm going away. And you know the way to where I'm going. Nobody said a word. Finally, Thomas says, well, Jesus, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know where you're going. I don't know the way. You're going to have to explain yourself to me. That takes courage to say, I don't know what you're talking about. Will you explain it? Have you ever been in a situation where people, somebody's talking about something and you're sitting there going, wow, this is so far over my head. I don't even know what's going on here. And am I the only dumb one here? Are other people getting it and I'm the only one? And we would never raise our hand and say, could you explain to me? Because we would look dumb to other people. And so we just sit quiet and play like we know what's going on. And then we just leave ignorance about what the person was talking about. Thomas had enough about him to say, I don't care what people think about me. I don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. And I want to know. So will you tell me? I didn't see anybody else raising their hand asking that question in that context. Thomas is a good man. But yeah, there is that time when we read about Thomas doubting. John chapter 20, there, there he says, you know, unless I see and put my finger in the wounds in his hands, and unless I can put my hand in his side, I don't, I'm not going to believe this story. 
yes, he doubted, but no more so than any of the other apostles. Are you aware that when Jesus rose from the dead, he gathered together with the apostles, and in Mark chapter 16, he said to the eleven, he upbraided them for their unbelief, because none of them believed the testimony of the women who came and said, Jesus is risen. They didn't believe it on their word. They had to go see it for themselves. They all were unbelievers. And if you look at what John said or what Thomas says, you know, if I can put my fingers in the wounds, if I can put my hand in his side, then I'll believe. Do you realize what Jesus just did for the other apostles just a few verses earlier? In John 20, Thomas was absent the first time that Jesus came. And you know what Jesus did? To convince them that he had risen, he said, hey, fellas, look at here. He showed him his wounds in his hands. He, he showed him the wound in his side, John 20 um, and, and verse 20. Thomas was absent. He didn't get to see it. So basically, all Thomas did was ask what the other guys got to do, too. I just think we've really, really missed the, the, the character and the genuineness of Thomas. He struggled just like all the rest. But I see a man of faith. I see a man who is willing to go to a, a, an area where Jesus could very well lose his life and eventually would lose his life. And he said, I'm ready to go with you and die, if that be the case. Don't miss that as you read this chapter. There's another thing that I think sometimes we miss, and it comes from verse 33. Look at what it says there. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. I've done funerals where I have heard men and women just groan out of sorrow. I mean, they're just overwhelmed with grief, and, and they literally groan in, in their grief. And that's what we may picture Jesus doing here, but that's really not what that word means. If you do a word study on the word groan, do you know it's a word that means uh, not, not to, to be sad, but to be angry. It literally means to snort with anger. Have you ever seen a bull paw the ground? You know, he gets up and, and, and he has that head and he's snorting and making all kind of noise and mad and he's pawing the ground ready to, to charge. That's the Greek word that's used there when it says that Jesus groaned. He, he, he was angry. I'm glad to know that. Because Death is hurtful. Death is painful. Death destroys lives and ruins homes and relationships and it's, and, and, and it wrecks families and it breaks people's hearts and, and I'm glad that Jesus, I'm glad to know that Jesus is angry when he sees death played out. It helps me to understand a little bit better 1 Corinthians 15 where the Bible says that Jesus is now reigning on 
his throne and he'll reign until the last enemy shall be put under his feet. And that last enemy is death. Did you catch that? Death is an enemy of Jesus. I'm glad to know that. I don't want, and I'm thankful that the God that we serve isn't aloof and that he doesn't care and he's not compassionate when we deal with death. I'm glad to know it's, he's not like, hey, it's just a part of living. You know, get over it, go through it, and you know, it'll be better in a little bit. He's more than that. When Jesus saw the pain that the family was going through and the loved ones of Lazarus, it made him angry. You can learn a lot about a man by the things in which he takes delight and by the things that anger him. Look at the life of Jesus and look at the things that gave him joy and look at the things that made him mad and uh, emulate it because Jesus was perfect. Jesus was angry. At death. death is his enemy. That was never God's ideal will. It was brought upon. And I'll tell you, if I can go through death and all the pain of death and the shock and the, the, the confusion of it, so many people lash out at God during that time. They're so mad at God for letting this or that happen. It would help us, would it not, to know that he's not the one to blame. That death is his enemy too. And that he is angry with death just as much as you are. I think that would help me to focus where my true anger should reside. And the object of my anger. And that's the one who caused death in the first place. Satan. Not God. Don't miss that in John 11 verse 33. Let me give you another passage from John chapter 11 and verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead for four days. I have found this interesting. I heard a man a number of years ago, an older man, preach, and he brought this point out to me, and I'd never thought of it before on my own, but but Jesus is about to bring life Back to a dead body. He's about to raise a man who's been dead not five minutes, four days. His own sister says, don't, don't open the, the tomb. He, his body, there's a stench. He's dead. Jesus has the power to speak to Lazarus and say, Lazarus, come forth. And, and this man who had been dead would, would obey that command. And come forth. What power. Unbelievable. We've never seen anything like that. And and how if I could go back and have that time machine. Man I would zip back there and watch some of this stuff. That Jesus did. Incredible. The power of God. But why would a God who has the power to speak. and, And give life to this dead man. Why would he tell somebody else to roll away a stone? I mean, why didn't he just go, you know, and roll it and just make a, you know, he just do something like that or, or just do that and the stone crumble in little pieces, you know. This is the God of the universe. He's made everything. He can, 
He can roll a stone away if he can raise a dead. Why tell someone else to roll away the stone? Might it be that God expects cooperation? Might it be that God's not going to do everything for us, but he will do the things we can't do for ourselves? But he does expect us to do what we can do. Isn't that the way it is with salvation? God did what we could not do for ourselves. We couldn't present ourselves holy and blameless, undefiled before God. So he took care of that for us and sent his son to die for us, to be an atonement, a sacrifice for our sin. But we still have our part to do, don't we? Oh, it's not done in terms of acquiring or deserving or meriting But there's still, we have to place our faith and trust in Jesus. How many times have we prayed to God, asking God, Lord, save my wife, save my husband, save my kids, save my neighbors. You know, do something. And God's answer, I'm sure, is, I will. Now go roll away the stone. I have. I've offered Jesus. I have this plan all laid out. Now roll away the stone. Do something. You know, to pray to God and and He presents opportunities in His providence that He sets up and arranges and and we just like want Him to do it all and, and won't let Him use us as instruments of His providence. And I'm sure God's sometimes saying, you know, in essence... I want them saved too, but roll away the stone so we can get it done. And will we listen? Will we cooperate? Don't, don't miss this truth from John 11 and verse 39. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1 that it's through the foolishness of preaching or the message preached that God chose to save men. And, and again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says that we have this gospel in earthen vessels. And man, it's such a treasure and he's entrusted us with it. We, we have a job to do. It's not all done by God. He'll do what we can't, but he expects us to do what we can do. We see that here. And then here's the fourth and final point from John chapter 11. And it comes from verses 47 through 52. But basically it's this. When they came and told the, the, the Pharisees what Jesus said, they're all in a dither because, you know, what's going to happen? The Romans are going to come and take away our place. You see, it's all about them. They're afraid they're going to get wind of this Jesus and Jesus is causing a movement among us and it's going to stir up the Romans. They're going to think there's something's going on and they're going to come down hard and heavy and we'll lose our job. And so the high priest says, we'll take care of Jesus. We'll kill him for the sake of the nation. For one to die that the nation live, well, that's that's no big decision. That's what we're going to do. That's what he said. But little did he know that he had actually prophesied. Because that's exactly what God had in mind. Jesus was indeed going to die for the nation, and not just that nation, but for the Gentiles as well. Here's a man who was opposed to Jesus and was trying to undo Jesus and outdo Jesus and to rid the world of Jesus And he plays right into the hands of God. 
almost like a divine comedy. Almost as if God in heaven says, you really think you can, you know, go against me? Um, I'm not a, a good chess player, but, you know, when you play chess against some people that are just beginning, or checkers, if that's your thing, and um, they're just starting. You can think so many moves ahead of them, right? And, and they don't get it. They don't see it. And, and you could just win. Do you remember playing with your kids and losing on purpose so they'd feel good about themselves? Uh, that was hard for me to do. I, you know, I don't know. I, I, that's a character flaw. But, um, you know, to, to just, oh, I see. I know that. And they don't. They don't see it. Can you imagine what it's like going up against God and and thinking you're going to match wits with God? Here's this guy saying, I'm going to put Jesus to death. Yep, that's what I'm going to do. And God says, all right, go ahead. That plays right into my plan. You don't know it, but you're doing exactly what I want you to do. Listen, don't find yourself fighting against God. Don't find yourself matching wits with God. Don't find yourself on the other side of, of God trying to argue with Him. Isaiah 14 and verse 27, the Lord's purpose. You can't annul it. If He has a purpose, He's going to fulfill it. And the ironic thing is He often fulfills it by people who are trying to thwart it. And they don't even know it. The Bible tells us in Job 42 and verse 2 that no purpose of his can be withheld or annulled. We can't do that. God is so much bigger, better, wiser, stronger. And here's a man who says, not because he was speaking for God, he was speaking out of envy. He says, I'm, we're going to kill that man. And we're going to get rid of him to save our nation. And God said, right. It's exactly what you're going to do. Oh, you think you're doing it to harm Jesus, but it's part of the plan. You're walking right into uh, checkmate, so to speak. And um, so when, don't, don't miss that point when you read John 11. The power and the wisdom of God. His purposes cannot be thwarted. So my point for this morning's lesson is just simply this. You can go through and you can read John 11. And you can read about the resurrection of Lazarus. Or you can read about the resurrection of Lazarus. And these other truths that maybe are just a little bit need uncovered or a little bit of time, or thought, or meditation. Maybe we need to spend more time reading, as the psalmist said in Psalm 119, where he twice said, you know, my eyes fail me for searching the Word of God. Maybe maybe that's what we need to do. I guarantee you that if you will, if you'll make your Bible look like James Meadows' Bible, you will see things and find things, riches in God's word that you would never otherwise have uncovered. Let's not find ourselves fighting against God. Let's not find ourselves trying to match wits with him. He'll put you to shame. 
His purpose will be accomplished. And so there may be some of us here today who know we're outside the purpose of God. We, well, I know I need to repent of my sins. I know I need to quit. But I, I haven't done it yet. You think you can pull something over on God? You think you can get by and, and not, Him not... You've got to come clean. If you need to repent of your sins, if you're a child of God already, to turn from your sin and say, listen, I want to start over. I I don't want to play a game with God. He's going to win. I want to be on his side. I can't annul his purposes. And I know his purpose says that when I sin, I need to confess it and turn from it. And that's what I'm here today to do. If, If that's you, we'll pray with you if you'll come in a minute. And if you're not yet a child of God and you know that Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And you have not taken that step. You can't annul God's purposes. We might as well just resign ourselves and resolve ourselves to do what he said because whether we do or don't, his word abides forever. If you're here this morning, you need to be baptized into Christ or if you need the prayers of your brethren, we'll pray with you or we'll baptize you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.